guys, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Shivani. And I'm Kate, and we are very excited to have Michael Shear joining us here today. Michael Shear's CMC class of 1990 is the White House correspondent for the New York Times Washington Bureau, where he has worked for the last six years. In this role, he also covered the 2012 presidential campaign. Prior to that, he was a reporter for the Washington Post, where he spent 18 years covering local communities, school districts, state politics, 2008 presidential campaign and the first two years of the Obama White House. Just thank you so much for joining us. Um, So one of the most interesting things or sort of where we like to start each of our podcasts um, is asking about this concept of inflection points or or turning points, uh, be it in your personal or professional life where you you know, sort of realized you needed to shift, um, that, and that's kind of led you to where you are right now. Uh, so if you could share some of those inflection points, we would love to hear them. Sure. I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to be here. It's great <laughs> to be back at CMC um, after um, longer than I want to admit. But, um, you know, I, I think um, kind of the, the moment that sticks in my mind um, was actually in Washington, D.C. I was a... Um, uh, I was a CMC student. I had um, uh, I was on the Washington program, and I knew I'd always wanted to be a journalist. I thought I wanted to do something with politics. Um, that's what led me to the Washington program. And it was early. I'd been there maybe a couple of weeks. I hadn't been there long, um, but by then I'd gotten my pass to be able to go to Congress. Um, to it was before 9/11, so you could kind of get in and out mm-hmm. easier. And there was a uh, hearing that was going. I'd gone to I'd gone to work. I worked at the L.A. Times as an intern, and I'd come back to my apartment, dingy apartment with <laughs> cockroaches and everything, classic and college classic story. college place. <laughs> and um, and and I and the news came on, and there was a big hearing for a, um, a guy named John Tower, who had been a senator from Texas, and George H.W. Bush, the first President Bush, had nominated him to be um, Secretary of Defense. And there was all sorts of controversy about um, him patting women on the rear ends, right. and it was very tame compared to what we're dealing with <laughs> these days. However, it seemed like the, a big deal. Um, and the, the final vote was taking place in the um, uh, in the uh, in one of the House office buildings, or I guess it was Senate office buildings. And um, and so you know, I'm sitting there at six o'clock or six thirty, and the news comes on, and they say the vote's about to take place. And I just there was a, a kind of a moment where I realized this is crazy. This is what I'm in Washington, D.C. for. I don't want to be sitting in my apartment listening and watching this. I put on my clothes again, and I ran down the metro and took, went to the office building and up in the elevator and, and literally walk. At the time, you could do this. Probably couldn't do it anymore. Walked into the hearing room as it was about to start, and Melissa Healy, our, the L.A. Times Pentagon correspondent, was sitting you know, in the press section. She waved me over and said, come here, come here. And... Uh, I sat there for the next, you know, two hours, notebook in hand, writing down. I'd only been there a couple weeks. Um, and as soon as the hearing ended, it probably went on several hours, and the, uh, the, the gavel, you know, slammed down, and Tower had been rejected or, or uh, voted against by the co- committee, uh, which was a huge deal. It was a rejection of a cabinet nominee. And, um, and uh, Melissa looked at me and she said, you get Kennedy, I'll get so-and-so. I can't remember who it was. And there I was, like, racing after Ted Kennedy, That's the you know, line of the Senate. <laughs> you know, he always had this, like, t- shirt that was, you know, buttoned way tight in his big red face. And he's, you Not know. Not intimidating at all, And, and sure. you know, there's, you know, 
crush of reporters sticking their microphones and their, you know, whatever around him. And, you know, it's probably midnight or, you know, it's late. I remember it being really late. Um, and, and I, you know, you know, then went back and helped file quotes for the story and the like. And I just remember getting home, like, in the middle of the night and back to this grungy apartment and thinking, this is exactly what I want to do the rest of my life. I mean, this it was sort of the clarifying moment. Not that I hadn't probably always had that in mind uh, before, but that was like the clarifying moment where I said that there's this sort of amazing opportunity when you're a reporter to be present at the most amazing moments Absolutely. where, you know, uh, things are happening that the rest of the world just gets to watch right. and you get to be part of. And that was that was kind of one of those moments for me. No, absolutely. Um, and so I, to take it back to Claremont McKenna, because um, it's it's absolutely incredible. Like we have a huge alumni base in finance, you know, more so in tech now. Uh, but I think journalism is something that, you know, either I, I haven't seen or haven't been aware of. Um, and it was until recently where I even, I, at least during my time at CMC, that we started offering journalism classes. And so what, what activities or sort of what organizations on campus really sort of honed your interest in journalism um, and pursuing it? Well, it was, it was, um, uh, it was one of those, I, I had fights during the time that I was here. I actually transferred, I was a freshman at uh, University of California, Irvine, and didn't like that so much and came here my sophomore year. Um, I knew I wanted to do journalism. I'd done it in high school. Um, and at the time that I was here, Jack Stark was president. Right. Um, and he and I got along famously, uh, except when we were fighting over this topic, because I was insistent. There was no journalism class. There was no way to get a journalism minor. Right. To, my, to my knowledge, I'm the only one that ever actually got a journalism minor because I made it up. Like, I took every class that had the word media in it. Um, but I fought with, with President Stark over and over again, and he would say, well, that's not a real academic class that's a vocation that's a you know that's a which didn't make any sense to me because it it seemed to me like the kinds of uh the ways that you could teach journalism um meant that you could talk about uh politics you could talk about history you could talk about um international relations Absolutely. you could talk about writing you could teach it as a writing course or, or a course in any of these other topics and um you know in the end it worked out for me okay i ended up uh you know sort of marrying up my interest in politics and government and, and journalism and writing and media and you know the, every semester it seemed like there was some class that that touched kind on that yeah, some right. somewhere I did a couple of independent study classes as well um, but I'm glad to see I was going through the the uh, course schedule the other day mm -hmm. here and it looks like there's a couple of there's a class are, on yeah. international journalism we have an incredible um he, he doesn't let us call him professor uh Terrell Jones right. who AP and Reuter um it was spent 30 years between those two organizations. Right, right, yeah, right. No, an, I took the class last semester. Oh, that's good. Yeah, no, so I mean, and, and I think and, and I, I think somebody said that he's doing a, another class, a right. different sort of adjunct class mm -hmm. on, on that as well next year. So, I, you know, I hope, I, I really, um, especially in this day and age where um, the media landscape is changing so dramatically and so dynamically, um, it's not the same... Uh, you know, kind of more old-fashioned thing that it was once where, you know, you sort of started and you covered city council and you maybe covered right. the cop's beat and whatever. Like, it's, if, if you're a CMC student and you're interested in leadership and you're interested in politics and being in Washington, so much of what happens in Washington happens in the context of a media story mm -hmm. as well. And so I would think a school like uh, CMC would be wise to kind of 
plug into that and Absolutely. plug into that um, uh, you know everything that's going on with uh, with media and the revolution and the the death of print and all <laughs> of that media. which we could talk about. Which is, it, is that a valid claim? The death of print media because I've. There is a, not sure if you, if you watch uh, Stephen Colbert, or not Stephen Colbert, sorry, John Oliver, uh, who did a Yes, he did one. Segment. Oh, yes, I yeah. know. I've seen that one. Um, yeah, it's, it's really true. It okay. is. I mean, it, it is, um, uh, we are really struggling. And, and um, you know, the papers that have had the most uh, trouble mm-hmm. uh, have been the mid-sized daily newspapers, of which there are just dwindling numbers. Right. Um, and those are the papers that used to produce enormously good journalism, um, much of it not for a national or international audience, but for their local or state audience, they were the places that did that held uh, your local city council member or your governor or your uh, mayor or your sheriff uh, held those people to account and did really serious journalism about um, you know kind of uh, uh, what those folks did and and those papers are are all but dead and the national papers are struggling to figure out how to make money. I mean, the truth is that uh, doing what uh, the New York Times or the Washington Post does on a daily basis costs an enormous amount of money. Um, I like to uh, surprise people uh, when I travel with the president on Air Force One and we go around the world. Um, The example uh, I like to give is of an Asia trip that I took with the president. couple years ago we went to several different Asian countries we were gone for like uh, eight days and the cost to the New York Times of one reporter on that Asia trip was $90,000 for that for those eight days Um, and that's just a tiny sliver that's one week of covering the president you know and that doesn't that doesn't begin to kind of give you a sense of what covering war is like and the security arrangements that have to be taken or covering campaigns and the enormous amount of of of, uh, tra- of travel and the like, and so, you know, it all it all takes money. And you know, if we're not going to make money uh, the traditional way we used to with advertisements, um, then we have to figure out some way to do it. And the New York Times has taken one approach by um, by uh, trying to uh, get folks to sign up for digital subscriptions right. for our website, and that's working to some extent. It hasn't replaced the rest of the revenue. And the Washington Post has taken a totally different approach, which is much more click driven and you know, trying to get millions and millions of clicks on stories, mm-hmm. and so that has sort of shifted them in a particular direction. Um, um, and who knows what's going to ultimately uh, work? But uh, it's definitely uh, something to be concerned about. And I think, as an old-fashioned journalist um, who got into this mainly to hold people to account and to uh, and to kind of do what I saw as a vital part of our kind of democratic process, it's it's a little unnerving that that so much of that journalism is is in danger of going away. Drawing on that, you said a lot of the mid-sized newspapers are really struggling to keep their ground and be able to hold on. Are they being able to convert to a more me- to a more digital-centric media sphere to keep people in the local communities held accountable, or is that not really happening I mean, it's, in your it's, opinion? It's really not. I mean, the problem is that um, for a mid-sized paper whose coverage is going to be really of interest only to the people in that region, mm-hmm. um, the base of people isn't large enough to generate the number of views online that give you the kind of like numbers to then make some money, right? So the 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 papers that are that are at least beginning to successfully do this are the papers that have a scale 
and an audience that can be global, right? Mm -hmm. The New York Times writes stories that are of interest across the globe. We do investigations that are not limited. They're not stories about New York City. They're stories that happen everywhere and that are of interest everywhere. And so once you have an audience, a potential audience of billions of people, you can begin to have a scale that lets you figure out, you know, if even if only, even if every click is only worth, you know, a fraction of a penny, if you sort of assemble them all together, you can, you can do it, or you, you can get subscriptions that, that you can get enough subscriptions that work. But if, if you need, you know, if you need 800,000 subscriptions to make it work, and you're in a metro area of a couple hundred thousand people, you can see how like even 100% of the people right. wouldn't make That's it just work. Not just not going to happen. And, and those papers used to, in the old days, didn't rely so much on numbers of readers. I mean, they did a little bit. Mm. Subscription was always something you cared about. But, you know, what they really relied on was two things in the old days. You'd open the paper and the, the, the J.C. Penney's and Sears and the car dealerships would have these right. big, huge ads. And the classified ads, people that wanted to buy and sell things, the classified ad section used to be you know, pages and pages and pages thick. And of course, now there's eBay and there's mm-hmm. Craigslist and all of that has gone away. So, um, so ultimately, I think, I think it's very difficult to see how a, a local paper uh, makes it work. And some of them have tried different things and they've gotten bought up by you know, uh, company, uh, bigger companies. And right. sometimes that can help. But it's, it's a struggle. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and so sort of moving forward from the kind of evolution of, of media and technology, uh, you, you mentioned something in sort of uh, our, our conversation before where you, at your time here at Claremont McKenna, um, assumed the forum uh, newspaper that we have on campus uh, and became editor of it and sort of tried to do your own evolution with that paper. Uh, can you speak more to that? Sure. I'm, I'm actually really happy to know that it's back and it kind is. of it's an online publication, but it's like thriving it, and apparently yeah, had um, incredible editors. Um, so I think all the all the credit goes to them. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Uh, when I got here in the uh, late 80s, um, it was really struggling. It was this was a, <laughs> hard to believe, <laughs> listeners, but this was before cell phones and before the internet and before email and before a lot of things. Right. So it was a printed, you know, broadsheet newspaper that um, was really struggling. You know, the the it is a it's difficult with you know co- college is a place where you have lots of high high turnover. People are obviously leaving after four years, and so the paper didn't have much staff, and the paper didn't have much. Uh, there weren't. Uh, pr- procedures and policies written down mm-hmm. that would sort of you would expect in any organization but particularly a, something that has to produce on a regular basis right. um, so there were a handful of people and I, I became the editor uh, and we tried to put this thing out but it was a struggle and it wasn't doing very well and so I at one point had the idea that if we shut the whole thing down and we stopped trying to crazily put out the paper in the midst of every all the homework and whatever and just shut it down for a while and use that time to recruit and to reorganize mm-hmm. and to set up, establish a set of policies and procedures and institutionalize what we were doing, that um, that would be good. I, uh, who knows whether that ultimately would have worked because I never did it because I ended up fighting with my good friend Steve Bullock, who was then the president of the student body. He's, of course, gone on to have this incredibly successful career uh, back home. He's now the governor 
uh, of, Mon Montana. of Montana. He was the attorney general and now is governor of Montana. Um, and he just he didn't want to be he didn't want to have it like be a blot a blot on his record that the student newspaper was shut down while he was president. <laughs> so he resisted. And ultimately, I I uh, I ended up out of frustration quitting and I ended up being the news editor of the five college paper, which also no longer exists from what I gather now. But it, there was a five college uh, paper that. Um, and uh, uh, so anyway, all of which is to say, you know, politics can be interesting and fun, even if it's just at the, you know, at the local, at, the, at your college. I mean, it obviously then went on to cover politics and the national, uh, you know, local state politics and national politics. But it was, I remember that time fondly. There were <laughs> lots of good fights between me and Steve. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. Um, and finally, we always like to end on the question of what is your personal definition of success and what advice would you give to students defining success for themselves? Um, boy, personal definition of success, I, I guess, um, um, it's such a, that's, that's really hard to define, right? Because everybody defines it differently. For me, um, I guess I'll, I'll offer two observations about sort of how I got to where I am and the sort of pluses and minuses of that. I, I think I, when I look back on my career and I, uh, when I was in high school and I worked on my high school newspaper and um, uh, people would ask me what I wanted to do with my life and I mean, you know, it was clear I wanted to be, a, I wanted to cover the White House and cover the president for the New York Times. That was all I wanted. <laughs> and. Um, uh, there were plenty of times that I didn't think that I would get there and plenty of times that it seemed like the path went, uh, you know, uh, kind of in different directions. Um, but, I, but I think the advantage of the way I approached the rest of my life from that point forward was that I approached it in an incredibly um, directed way. Right. That, you know, Wherever I went, I came, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I did internships every summer at various, you know, newspapers mm -hmm. in my local area. When I came to Claremont, um, you know, I worked at the Forum, and then I worked at the Five College Paper, and I took every media class. And when I went to graduate school um, at the Kennedy School of Government, you know, I, like, worked at the Shornstein Center for the Press and Public right. Policy, and I was a teaching assistant, you know. And, I mean, I was sort of, like, every step of the way... Um, you know, I kind of had this goal in mind um, and um, went to the Washington Post and along the way, you know, all, you know, had a million different jobs covering mm -hmm. all sorts of different things, but always with the idea that I was building towards covering national politics. And ultimately it worked out. Um, I, so when I tell my kids, my son is 17, my daughter's 14, we have these conversations about, about, you know, sort of how to, um, you know, how they want to, um, get ahead in life. Mm -hmm. um, I talked to them with some pride of, of about that approach. Um, but I also, I actually, but I also am somewhat um, mindful of what I missed out on, um, which was the serendipity of um, the way other people approach the same, the same things, right? And so, um, what I try to tell my kids is that there's, if when I look back, I'm glad that I had that sense of direction, but I also wish that I had taken time to be a little less focused and a little bit more willing to try different things. I, I think in the end, knowing my personality, I would have always still ended up kind of on that same path. Mm -hmm. um, but um, 
you know, there is value, I recognize, to, you know, letting yourself take that art history class that doesn't have anything to do with what you want to do or to, um, you know, spend a summer, uh, you know, not doing a journalism internship, but, you know, hiking through the Andes or whatever. Absolutely. Um, and I think, and so anyway, I guess my argument to people uh, um, when I talk to them now about careers is just um, to try to do, to try to figure out how to meld both of those ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be so laissez-faire that you're sort of, whatever, life's, it's, it's going to happen. Stumble my way through. Stumble my way through. Because, <laughs> like, honestly, if you do that, you get to the end of CMC and you haven't taken advantage of the classes right. you want to take. Or you get to the end of graduate school and you realize, well, you know, did I, I, I could have done these other things mm-hmm. and I didn't, and it doesn't, and it, nothing's adding up. Uh, but at the same time, give yourself the opportunity to, 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 step off of that path sometimes um, because I think in the end um, you know even if ultimately you get to where you want to get um, uh, you want to have those experiences that um, that are kind of different. No, so. Absolutely and I think that was sort of the largest thing that I've grappled with is balancing the specialization and the generalist where yeah. I had that midlife college crisis where it was like <laughs> have I been too much of a generalist so well, I think. And I think CMC uh, my, my sense is I obviously haven't been a student here for a long time my sense is that CMC will nurture the directedness mm-hmm. part, yeah. right? Because that's the culture it's of like the place and the mindset of, of the students and of <laughs> the faculty and of the you know everybody else. They'll you don't if you come to CMC, you don't have to worry about that part. That'll Completely sort of right. um, yeah. what you have to sort of um, sort of try to instill on your own is this sense of uh, serendipity and chance and and trying different things and you know recognize that that's not going to. That's not going to, if you're as directed as we all are at CMC, you're not, it's not going to take you off your path, but it'll give you, it'll enrich it. Absolutely. Uh, well, unfortunately, that is all the time we have today. Thank you again, Mike, for joining us. Um, and to all the listeners out there, remember to stay hungry.